0: Blog
1: Talk Radio. Welcome to Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update providing up-to-the-minute information on interest rates, loan programs, and hot industry news relating to the mortgage industry. Brought to you by Transformational Mortgage Solutions. To participate in today's program, our guest call in line is 646-716-4972. And now, here's your host of Lickin' on Lending, David Lickin'.
2: Welcome everybody. So good to have you here with us. Happy New Year. It's Monday, January 2nd, 2017. Welcome to the again to the new year. This podcast is created by mortgage professionals. It's for mortgage professionals and we're the proud recipient of the Progress in Lending Innovation Award. Very grateful for that award. Very grateful to have you, our listeners tuning in and listening to this podcast, especially on a holiday when so many people are taking the day off and enjoying some time with their family with the holiday following falling on the on Sunday. We're obviously getting the, the national holiday today. So many of you are enjoying this time, and we're so grateful to have you tuning in to be here with us. We are excited about today's podcast. We have Les Parker, who will be dialing in and joining us here hopefully shortly. Uh, he is Senior Vice President of Loan Logics, and uh, will be giving us an economic update. And his, he does each and every – at the beginning of each and every year. Now, several people have said, well, could you have White Loss on later uh, – a little later on in the month? And I go, yeah, but this is uh, – interestingly, one of the bigger listening um, times when people are off, more people listen uh, to the podcast because they're relaxed. They can take time. They go, oh, Yeah. We can get to listen to that. So we have a lot of people listening to the podcast today because it is a holiday, and we appreciate you taking time to join us. Again, a special thank you goes out to our sponsors, ArchMI, the creator of the new innovative RateStar Star program, Motivity Solutions, providing real-time reporting and dashboards and scorecards, also not part of the Black Knight Company. Also, we have Velma. We have... The, which is the efficient mortgage marketing and email platform. Very are excited to be a partner with them. They do a great job of getting the word out. Also, Simplify, a real time electronic communications exchange, and also the Mortgage Collaborative, the power of the network. Very excited to be a part of them. And then, of course, D and H, D plus H call it DNH and and they move your world forward through technology. They have been in business for 140 years, 5,500 employees worldwide, 8,000 clients in 70 countries. Many tech companies can claim that one, and they and uh, encourage you to check out what they're doing with their product. They also have a mobile app. What it looks like a mobile app. It's really an all-in-one LOS system, and they have it mobile-ready. Very effective, very innovative. Check it out, and you can, of course, check it all out at dh.com. Two letters, dh.com, or call them at 1-800-815-5592. Again, so thrilled to have you with us and be a part of the podcast. Normally, we'd be having Alice, Andy, and Joe, and Paul. Sam's in here. He's working today. He's in the office. At least he's joining us. But Alice, Andy, Joe, and Paul will not be here joining us today. So it's really, uh, really grateful to have them in the mix. Let's see here, um, is everybody in the mix normally, they're not going to be in the mix today or on the program today, but we wish all of them a very happy new year. Got some people dialing in the last minute, Les just joined us, so excited about having him in here. Um, let's see, here. are talking about upcoming MBA conferences, January 23rd through the 26th, the Independent Mortgage Banking Conference. I'll be speaking at that, doing a panel discussion on efficiencies and how to create greater efficiencies and profits for your company, uh, very important topic in the new year. I think you're, many companies are going to be known more for their process than their products. Uh, products are pretty boring, so we're talking about what you can do to differentiate yourself through your processes and becoming more efficient, and I'm um, very excited to have that topic and be honored to be not only chairing that, but uh, moderating it and organizing and speaking at it, bringing together Alice Alvey will be joining me there. We have Bill Cosgrove, the founder of this Independent Mortgage Bankers Conference, joining us, as well as Aaron. Who will be joining us? She's been a guest on the radio program. Very excited about that. Also, the National Mortgage Servicing Conference is coming up in Gaylord, Texas, at uh, the Gaylord Texan in Grapevine, Texas. And also, March 1st through the 4th, we have the Mortgage Collaborative Winter Conference. By the way, also check out the TMBA, Texas Mortgage Bankers Association, secondary conference taking place the, uh, I think it's the 34 the uh, 30th, 31st, and the 1st. Um, I'm speaking at that. I'm the opening speaker for the conference on Monday, and I believe that is on the 31st. So uh, get those dates out. I'll have more specifics when we get back uh, after the break. But anyway, check these conferences out. Look forward to seeing you there. And then also a host of other conferences throughout the year. Now, Joe Far would normally be here. The markets, we're going to get a market update from last Parker here a little bit later in the podcast looking forward to having him here on that <clears throat> excuse me but also want to say a special thank you to Joe far for the job he does at MBS quote line and we're going to take a quick break for um, a couple of ads that we have here and I just want to be back also Merry Christmas to and Happy New Year to Paul Mallow. I just noticed he is not joining us today so it's good to have you all with us we're going to take a quick break and we're going to be right back after this brief word Expensive CRMs that your loan officers won't use? If so, then give my friends at Velma a call and let them help you create a customer journey that relies on the data and not on loan officer interaction. I encourage you to consider working with Velma to create a truly automated marketing experience for your organization. Velma makes marketing automation easy. Schedule a demo today at Velma.com, V-E-L-M-A.com.
3: Simplifile has technology that gives you the ability to collaborate with settlement agents via real-time chat and messaging, allowing you to track changes, send, receive, and validate documents, as well as obtain status updates and deal with issues as they arise. All of this in a real-time electronic communication exchange. And best of all, you have a complete audit trail of all communications. To learn more, go to simplifile.com or call our good friend Nancy Alley at 1-800-460-5657.
2: So good to have our sponsors, grateful for them, also grateful for our regulars, Paul um, you know, of course, Joe Farr, Alice Alvey. Alice is also on vacation this week, enjoying her time, as I hope she is. And uh, But we do have Sam Garcia who dialed in to join us. Sam, good to have you on the podcast, my friend. How are you doing? Whoops. You know what? It would help if I turned on. You know, you take one week off and, and the podcast, Sam, you forget the little things like, oh, yeah, turn on the button, turn on the mic. So, anyway, yeah. Sam, Happy New Year. Sorry about that,
1: my friend. Yeah, I, I don't want to take credit for working too hard today. I know you said I'm working today, but, you know, I, just a few things. I'm taking it easy, so... But I, I just noticed you. I'm looking in our files here. Um, it's my fourth year doing this with you. I don't know how where the time went. Four
2: years? It's, Has it already been four years? How time flies when you're having fun, huh? Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. So uh, we we got our. We actually did put out a story uh, for tomorrow already. Um, this is based on data we got from EMBS, and that indicated that the issuance of fixed rate mortgage backed securities on behalf of Fannie, Freddie, and Ginny came to one hundred and fifty seven billion during december um, and while uh, activity was you know hardly changed at Freddie and Ginny from the prior month over at fannie may um, issuance soared by more than half to seventy one billion so the mm. issuers of Fannie Mae, I guess, just took advantage of getting this last month in, um, uh, and of course we can expect that we're going to see a sharp decline uh, in monthly issuance over 2017, as you know. There's a lot of uh, a lot less originations that are expected uh, as a result of rising rates. But um, for for all of uh, 2016. Fixed rate issuance on behalf of the agencies came to one point four five one trillion. Um that was up from a little over one point two trillion in two thousand fifteen. And it turned out to be the strongest year since two thousand thirteen when it was about one and a half trillion in uh MBS was issued on behalf of Fannie, Freddie and Jenny. So uh they basically because of Fannie finished the year off pretty damn strong. Yeah. Um, Fannie Fannie put out its monthly summary for November, and it said that single family delinquency was 1.23%. That's 90 day delinquency. So that turned out to be two basis points higher than in October, and it uh, was the first time that delinquency increased at Fannie since February 2010. So they had been on a pretty strong decline uh, each month for that many years, actually,
2: mm-hmm. um, with delinquency.
1: But let's put it in perspective. Uh, the latest rate that I just told you is still the second lowest rate on record since March 2008. So uh, you know, I think it has got to a point where you can't really go a whole lot lower on the rate. But uh, always good to see that they've maintained this low rate, and that means loan performance is good. Um The CFPB released its monthly report on complaints, and for the three months that ended on November 30th, the monthly average for overall financial services complaints um, was up 13% from a year earlier, and that's significant because – when you look at just mortgage complaints, they were down 2% during that same period. So mortgage companies are doing a better job than overall financial service yeah. companies, at, at least when it comes to uh, complaints that are being filed on behalf of them. Um, the most recent one came out to 4200 a month uh, for mortgages. So, uh, you know, again, lenders are doing a good job. It's, actually, I say lenders, it's servicers too. So uh, complaints are filed probably even more with, uh, against servicers or about servicing than they are with production. Um, thanks to the holidays and sharply higher interest rates, our mortgage market index fell to the lowest level on record last week since we launched it in late two thousand nine. Um, the report, which is you know, based on rate lock activity at open close, indicated that uh, arm activity took the biggest hit, falling 35%. Um, one, one thing i like to note, though, of course, we don't uh, apply seasonal adjustments, so we're going to see bigger declines and rises during, you know, these uh, holiday and post-holiday weeks. But uh, still, you know, compared to any other holiday week that since we've been doing this, it was the worst one yet. So. um Interesting. Yeah, yeah. The, the parent of United Wholesale, which is uh, United Shore, agreed to settle a False Claims Act violations, uh, allegations. Um, that settlement, of course, is tied to FHA lending. We've seen a lot of those kind of settlements lately. And it'll cost uh, United Shore $48 million. Um, that's, a, that's a significant hit there. Um, and United uh, Wholesale, of course, claims to be the biggest uh, wholesaler out there. Um, we put out a wire news story last week, and it indicated that the former uh, George W. Bush administration HUD secretary, uh, Alfonso Jackson, says that Ben Carson, who's, uh, of course, president-elect Donald Trump's choice to lead HUD, uh, is a strong fit for HUD secretary. You know, and his comments comes, no, you good. know. Yeah, you know, a lot of people question. Well, you know, Carson doesn't really have the experience to run the housing agency, but uh, here's a guy who did, and you know, he says uh, he's a good fit. So, um, that's good PHH, yeah, yeah, PHH. Last week, they filed a, they made a filing with the SEC disclosing plans to sell all of their MSRs. Um, those MSRs are tied to 72 billion dollars in mortgages, and the buyer on that deal is New Residential Mortgage. Um, PHH said that a subservicing agreement with new residential has its subservicing 480,000 loans um, on the underlying MSRs, or that are underlying the MSRs, and that's going to be for a period of at least three years. But just another step forward uh, with PHH kind of just... Uh, I don't want to say getting out of the business, but certainly reducing uh, their operations uh, when it comes to mortgages. And, of course, you know, they, they used to have a whole lot of businesses and then uh, ultimately wound up with just the mortgage piece of it. Right. Um you know, we—I went through uh, before I before I got on the phone here with you and just kind of looked through our traffic reports. And um, here are some of the biggest stories of the year. Since this is really the you know year end or year beginning, whichever way you want to look at it, a uh, show that you've got going. Yeah. Um, the what I thought was interesting is one of our most read stories was that. Uh, Mitch Kidder's uh, comments that he made on your show—we yeah. did a story about that, um, about PHH uh, versus the CFPB lawsuit. So, um, you know, kudos to you for ha- having a topic that was just so popular that even the story we covered about it, uh, you know, wound up being one of our biggest stories of the year. Um, yeah, it blew up and our,
2: th- blew up our phone lines here and on our side for sure.
1: That was good. It was really good. You did well. Uh, Another one that did really well this year for us was the uh, story about the Wells Fargo settlement over fraudulently creating 2 million accounts. Um, Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> that was, uh, you know, that turned out to be the biggest CFPB settlement on record. Um, over 5,000 employees were fired, and it ultimately led to the, you know, ouster of chairman and the chairman and CEO. So uh, uh, that was a pretty big deal, and it didn't even really involve so much uh, the mortgage side of it, though uh, it, it did, you know, ultimately lead to them not having uh, referrals from one side to another when it comes to mortgages. Um, Another big story for us this last year was a former executive over at SunTrust Mortgage. His wife and his two brother-in-laws were convicted for running a mortgage fraud scheme. So uh, no. that's uh, something no. yeah, something you, you don't see too often. But uh, you no. know SunTrust, obviously, it's a big company. But they, they weren't implicated at all, just the, just the former executive. And uh, um, another big story we had was uh, a former FDIC attorney uh, was sentenced to prison for mortgage fraud that she committed against Wells Fargo. Uh, what? Kind of rare. <laughs> yeah, isn't that crazy?
2: An FDIC employee. A what former
1: FDIC heck? attorney.
2: Attorney. Oh
1: yes. yes.
2: Oh, that's interesting. That, yeah. And, and one other one I did really well. That. Yeah. Just other than <laughs> just tragic. I hate to see these kind of things.
1: You know, um, when you have just you have this many people in an industry, um, it, it, it could be it, it, everybody could be mostly good, but still, there's always going to be a few players. So what are you going to do? Um of course, you know, mortgage fraud hasn't been as much of a problem lately because, A, underwriting is a lot tougher, and, B, there's a lot of services out there that help mortgage companies identify uh, when there's potential fraud. So that has just been uh, – they've really brought it down quite a bit, you know, when when you compare it to pre-crisis. And, gosh, you know, I, I don't know if I ever told you, but mortgage fraud was really what got us going here, um, I don't know, in the early 2000s. Um we were doing a lot of mortgage fraud coverage, kinda of before it really was even close to being an issue and uh and there came a point where um they were interviewing me actually on September eleventh, two thousand one. It was Newsweek magazine about our coverage of mortgage fraud. And, uh, of course that story never made it to Newsweek. Uh there were far more important issues to cover for quite a while after that. But uh yeah, that was uh that used to be such a big deal and now fraud is just, you know, not as uh, not as rampant and certainly not as much of a factor as it has been uh, especially pre-crisis but uh the, the the other uh one story that that came up that was read quite a bit was the wj bradley mortgage capital story where they uh, announced in march plans to close down and yeah, there were 500 people i think at that point roughly working there but uh, they've been around for a year so that was a big story and you know always sad to lose somebody but you know it's capitalism uh, The best continue on and the weakest go by the wayside. You still there, Dave? Okay. All right. Well, uh, listen, it's been good to be on the show here. Um, I hope – you get this. You get your microphone I,
2: back. On. I got okay, you. Good, good. Yeah, I got you back there. Yeah. Sorry about that. I had to unmute one line and turn on another on mic. Something went wrong with that one. So anyway, sorry about that. But anyway, <laughs> yes. Thank you very much for filling in. You did a good job, like a pro. So it's really good. Appreciate it. Um, looking forward to getting your analysis as we go through into the new year. Lots of good stuff. And for those that have not checked out your website, I encourage you to them to do so. You can go to mortgagedaily.com or email Garcia at mortgagedaily.com or call them at 214-521-1300. Sam, really appreciate you being here, friend. Thank you, sir. You bet. All right, folks, we are going to take a quick break. Look at the mic situation here. We've got Les Parker coming up right after these couple brief words from our sponsors, but we'll be back in just a few minutes. Let's start off by talking to Jim Jump, over there at Arch MI, very grateful to have the relationship with them. And uh, so, Jim, jump. Tell us about the RateStar app.
3: Hi, David. Thanks for having me on. And we're happy to be a proud sponsor of the program. And today, I'd like again to talk about RateStar from Arch Mortgage Insurance. RateStar is a revolutionary tool that allows mortgage originators to dynamically price mortgage insurance and match coverage to Archemy's most competitive rates. And that's important because it allows you to compete more effectively, qualify more borrowers, and of course, close more loans. That's the power of RateStar. Originators from around the country are letting us know just how quick and easy RateStar is to use. And all you need is your NMLS number, and you can access RateStar anywhere, anytime, using multiple points of entry, including most LOS systems, product and pricing engines, and through our websites at archmi.com and archmicu.com for credit unions. And of course, it's available through our mobile app for smartphones and tablets. RateStar makes it easy to choose what type of mortgage insurance covered your loan needs. You just touch, tap, and go. Quotes are delivered in seconds and represent our most competitive ArchMI rates based on the strength and quality of the loan application. And I have to tell you, David, getting a mortgage insurance quote has never been so powerful or so simple. And with that, I'll turn it back over to you and say thanks. Have a great day, everybody.
2: We well, appreciate you being here with us, Jim. Wish you and everyone there at ArchMI a very happy New Year. Without further ado, let's get our guest on today, our special guest, Les Parker. Les, I know you're dialing in on your holiday, and I want to say a big thank you to you for taking the time out to share with us and many of our listeners who are dialed in excuse me, are you know, logged in on the line and to listen to us. So, appreciate it so much.
0: It's always a joy to be with you, David.
2: I appreciate it. For those that do not know you, you are a senior vice president of Lone Logics, and there's many products you have, and your company continues to grow and prosper. So, uh, just, I know we're going to talk about economics, but just ahead of that, let's talk a little bit about some of the exciting things going on at Lone Logics And uh, I'd love to have you respond to the question, do you see fraud going up? Or going down? I'd love to get you weighing in on that before we get into the topic of uh, forecasting.
0: You know, it's really exciting what we're doing at uh, LoanLogix these days. It's uh, been quite a uh, change over the last three years, three and a half years in uh, Lone Logic's life. Uh, and before that, we had Nylex and Aclero that had been around for a number of years and um, mm-hmm. Nilex, one of the leading uh, product pricing engines in the U.S., and then we also had Eclero, uh, uh, which did great work on quality um, quality control, quality assurance, uh, doing the uh, quality control audits. And now joined together, it's been a wonderful journey for our customers. They now are seeing ways to improve their workflows, uh, having a higher throughput on underwriting, higher throughput on if they do internal um, quality controls, they're seeing, um, which means they're getting good ROIs and in the investments in dealing with um, loan logic. So, we the main reason we're in business is to serve our customers and have happy customers. And they are giving us the feedback we need to be a continuously improving company. And it's uh, been very exciting. We are still doing uh, quality control um, assurance, you might say, the front end, where we do pre-closing audits. We're providing uh, workflow uh, items to where people can increase uh, the efficiencies of their underwriters. We're providing um, post-closing reviews, but also empowering customers to do their own post-closing reviews. So, they can then increase the number of files that they do per person per day. It's just uh, a lot of things happening. We're really moving forward in 2017 with uh, how can we really transform this business even more. It's been great that we've been able to provide anywhere from 25% to 75% improvements in throughput. Um, And it's, you know, picking up productivity is great, right? It, it improves right. everybody's bottom lines it makes happier customers it's um, their customers can be happier because they're more the uh, lenders are more efficient in the way they do things. but what about how the total fits? how does it how do we have make sure there's quality from day one and that all the way to the wait time alone pays off? how do we yep. assure that how do we make sure we have Higher customer satisfaction, not the lenders I'm talking about, the borrowers. How do we have it so the whole industry provides better quality to all customers so customers are happy? This industry still does not really have great customer ratings. Um, There are spots, obviously, with certain uh, lenders and all handling customers well at certain time periods but not from the cradle to grave, not from the first origi- the locking of the loan all the way the loan's paid off. Customers consistently have pickups throughout that whole process, whether it's in the origination process, whether it's the selling of the loan, the boarding of the loan and servicing, whether it's the handling of the loan during the servicing process, the way it's handled when it's paid off, is still plenty of handoffs and disconnects. What we hmm. are trying to do, and we are... True addressing all of these high contact areas where consumers are interacting with lenders and lenders are interacting with the secondary marketing system. We are working on the plumbing for all of those items so that all of those items we can see not just some improvement of 10% or 5% improvement. We're talking about leaps and downs improvement so that the whole industry can really see transformative activity. And that's why I like the name of your company. Transformative. Yeah, trans- but, yeah. Transformational, Transformational Mortgage
2: solutions. Yeah, the Transformational Mortgage That's That's why I love the partnership with you guys. You guys are all about transforming, making a huge impact in the industry. And you're doing a great job of it. And well, one of the things you do a great job that our listeners love is your input and forecast. And you have become widely read. You used to have a company called... Parker and Associates, and before you joined forces there with Loan Logix, they bought your company, if I recall, but you've been doing a great job of forecasting for decades, and for many who do not know, when someone's hedge would go awry, and they were wondering do we have the right person doing hedging, they brought you in, because you're kind of recognized as one of the top industry professionals uh, who can discern whether well, or not someone's hedge is working or if they're doing appropriate you know, best practices in their hedging business. So I know several of my friends have brought you in to help uh, comment about that so or look at and, and uh, opine to their best practices. So it's good to have you with us. And, uh, Thank you. you know, I think a good way to start off, I, I can't wait to talk about Trump. But before we go there into the, as we many are saying, the Trump question. No, we're going to talk about? about
0: Trump. We're gonna. I can't imagine that.
2: I I have. We're gonna have. Is there any name?
0: Is there any name that gets more recognition (laughs) on Facebook, on Twitter, on? I mean, you name the social media. Is there anybody that's getting more tweets? More? it's, It's unbelievable. It is. It I is a phenomenon. I used to tell phenomenal. my wife I, I would turn on <laughs> any of the cable stations, and I would just go Trump, 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 because it was all, it, that's all it was. It was. It's been a,
2: It's been amazing how he has dominated. It is just really astounding, uh from through the yeah. election all the way through. But let's take a look through the rearview mirror, if you do a brief review of 2016, and if you wouldn't mind sharing it from well, – one of the things I like about you is transparency is, you know, what you thought, what you expected, and what was realized, and it's the projected versus actuals, as we do in budgeting oftentimes. So tell us about the what you projected and how it came out, how it turned out. Well, you know,
0: I – I appreciate that, and I do try to – I was re- reading one of the leading analysts in the United States, actually globally, to wealth funds, and as he was commenting about, you know, we we share our forecast, but we also tell you how it actually was going to perform
3: um, or how it did
0: actually perform, and I think it's important that we do things like that, so – just going back a few years uh, to give people a sense, of, particularly since your audience has been growing a lot over these last number of years. And by yes. the way, I do want to say, Dave, it is what a dedication you have to bringing this service to all of us in the mortgage oh, industry. There's representatives in Congress and in state legislatures that are listening to you and to your guests and, and, and your listeners are giving you feedback, so your listeners are also having an influence on on how this game, how the mortgage business is being, is going to be shaped by legislation. So it's really important what you're doing, and it's. I know it's a. Uh, oh, thank you. I, I've known you for many years. It's a, it's a tough job, but I'm glad you're doing. It's it. a labor of love. It's a labor That's of love. So about, I, let's yeah. thank you let's, for those kind comments. That really means a lot. You're welcome. Yeah. I'll give people a little bit of a a, a real quick rundown. So I try to provide a forecast of where I think the range of rates will be in the 10 year. So I keep my, my outlook, it's more an outlook is to try and get a sense of what's going to be the high and lows of the year. I'll give people a sense of where I think it's actually going to go, but I want to first say bind it by here's where the high should be. and Here's where the low is. If, if it's a normal or relatively calm environment. And then if things get a little wild, um, what should it be on the outside? So I provide those two numbers um, every year, or four numbers, you should say. So the expected range and then the outside range. And so when you look at – when I'm reviewing it, I'm looking at it in that context. I'm not – to try and forecast what will rates be on December 31st, 2017. That's like trying to call, what will the Dow be on the last day of trading? (laughs) I know people do it for fun, but in
3: reality, that's,
0: that's, that doesn't, that doesn't really help us. So I think understanding where the range is and where it could possibly go, that's helpful because if volatility is low, then you have a sense of what your productivity or what your origination should be. If it's somewhat wide, that's also going to have an impact. Um, so here's the review before I give you the the, the real bad news, unfortunately, <laughs> for our industry in 2017. I give a sneak preview. If anybody knows their history, think 2000 or think 1994. But anyway, wow. we get to that later. Um, so in 2011, so it's going back a ways. We yep. were expecting 3.8 to 1.8 in the two-year, uh 200 basis points range. The market was 3.77 and 1.72 for one hundred and ninety-five wow. basis points. In 2012, we thought it would be 2.5 to 1.5, a nice round 100 basis points. It turned out to be 2.39 and 1.38 for 101 basis points. So we nailed the, uh, the range, and we were off by 10 beeps up on both sides uh, there. So on uh, the following year, 2013, 3 to 1.6, and the 1.6 was our extreme because we did think we were going to get right. extreme. We did get an extreme that year. For 140 basis points, what actually happened was 299 and it was one point nine or six one for one point or for one hundred and thirty eight basis points. So we published these numbers, so it's not like I went back and Yeah, and I mean, change, you could change them amazed exactly. At right. Yeah. I'm I'm amazed at two thousand thirteen. I mean that's pretty amazing to be only off one basis point. So two thousand and fourteen, we thought it would we'd get a little bump, and this was the year, by the way, that all and I at least all the major – IBs, that's investment bankers, thought rates yep. were going to be significantly higher. They, we, forca- we were looking at 3.2 as being the high end, and the low end uh, with the outside low end, because we did think we'd go to the outside, would be 1.9. The industry was looking at over f- four to, or higher on the 10-year for that year, um, and, hmm. and we were starting off right at three. And so they thought it would go up 4 to 4% and we basically felt we were already topped out but I did put in 3.2 to 1.9 it turned out to be 3.04 to 1.87 wow. So on the downside, wow. 1. 1.9, 1.87. And by the way, those are intraday. If anyone's asking, I'm not looking at the closing. I was looking at intraday. Yeah. So
2: you, and, so you are, you're <clears> saying <throat> intraday. You, we didn't blow through any of these ceilings or any of these floors. That for the most part, with exception of 2013, just one, one. Yeah, 10, in two thousand we
0: blew, blew, through it in, by three feet. So in yeah, in 2015. Imagine. 2015 was a tough year for me.
3: Um, I thought
0: we'd be at a 2.9 to 1.35. I thought volatility was going to start picking up some. This was the expected range, and that would have been 155 basis points. We got about half that. So we did go up up to 2.5, and then we stayed to 1.64. Now, what happened in 2015 was very simple. The Fed said they were going to start – tightening in right. uh, early 2015 they were sending signals already many people thought the green shoots of the economy was meant we would that the fed would be tightening in march or uh, the summer of that year of 2015 and it didn't happen they didn't tighten until the end of 2015 so the reason we had such a narrow range was basically the market holding its breath Uh, Because of the uh, Federal Reserve. So 2016, essentially, I did the same forecast. I just adjusted it slightly, uh, and I said 2.8 to 1.4 for 140 basis points range, Mm -hmm. and it turned out to be 2.64, which we just did on, on December 15th and right. that the low was 1.32 for a range of 132 basis points. So we were pretty much right on uh, this year, or last year, 2016. Yeah, last
2: year, 16, yep.
0: And it's because the Fed finally started, people were gaining some confidence that they actually were going to do what they are going to do. Um, and now some would say, wow, so it only, you thought 2.8, and we were under that, and we had the Trump bump at the end, didn't we? Yes. So, yeah. Yes. I don't know if you want to ask me about the Trump bump yet uh, or or about Russia, but <laughs> I can first give you why I thought 2016. Well, let's go there. Happened, you opened it up. Let, let's
2: go ahead. Yeah, let's go there. Let's go right into it because I think it. And then I I can't wait for the 17. Where, what you're predicting on that, or do, should we do that and then come back and get cover that lately later? Uh, you've got these so well organized on here, and I don't want to break you from your logic. Or you can just keep no. us in suspense until the end. For the Well, you
0: know what? No, I want to get, we'll do the, we'll let the suspense hang there just a little bit. Hopefully we wrap this right. up a little early for your for your listeners. But I wanted to, um, why don't we first go into, I know we were talking about why, why, why did 2016 happen? Because some people are yeah. looking at it. But the Trump bump, and what about that? And yet you'd stayed actually in a slightly quieter range than you were expecting, though, I mean, 140 versus 132 on the range of rates is pretty much right on. Um, So what happened? I think let's first set why we didn't do what I thought we were going to do. Even though that was my expected range, I thought 2016 was finally going to break out and have a white – have the – outside ranges be hit on both ends. But it didn't happen. Right. So why why yeah. did it we we stayed in a little wider range than the previous year, if that makes sense. So mm-hmm. the expect expected happened. Well the expected happened because the Fed didn't happen. So right. um, so what we were what I thought the outside ranges would be hit if the Fed actually started tightening through the year. But they were losing they were losing followers, you might say. The Federal Reserve has been, lo- been losing confidence with investors. So the investors are kind of wondering, what are you really doing? And, and so they're not really buying now their they're, we're going to tighten talk. Because the beginning of 2016, right. they said they were going to tighten four times. Then they said, well, no, excuse me, we're going to do it only three times. And then they went to two times. They said, Well, I'm sure we're gonna do something by the end of the year, and this is in October. <laughs> and some people thought were in September. And they thought, Okay, well then they'll do it in November or or no, they won't the election. They'll do it in October. No, of course not. And then they went ahead and they finally did at the end of December. Which most of us felt they would do at least one and they did at the end of the year. So let me give you two reasons why I thought it didn't happen. First is the Federal Reserve, their open market took took all of that accommodation. I've talked to you about that. Um, So they're really, the Federal Reserve last year and still this year, is still accommodated. We're still at very low rates. They still are buying uh, all of the runoff that comes from their mortgage portfolio, which they are the big player in the mortgage.
2: That was going to be one of my questions,
0: yep. Yep, they're a big player in the mortgage market. So they keep buying things. So they really are – they really are accommodated. Extremely so very accommodating, on, yeah,
3: accommodating. Right.
0: So I want to one – little, one little tease for the forecast. What do you think has been the highest yield? What was the day? I said it earlier, but I wonder if your audience will remember. What did I say earlier? What was the high yield for this year? It was on December 15th. Right. So what happened on December 14th? December 14th is when the Fed actually tightened. So right. on, from that point on, because it's 2.64 is what that high yield was, well, what do you think the yield is right now in the 10-year? The yield right now, as we speak, that, that's trading. Well, it's not really trading, but it was 2.44. So mm-hmm. we are 20 basis points off of the high since December 15th. Why? Because the Federal Reserve tightened. But wait a minute. I thought every talking head in the media says that, well, exactly. as soon as the Fed starts tightening, then we're going to see higher rates. Well, then why don't we go back to, to December 2015? What were all the right. talking heads saying then? They said, well, well, the Fed's going to tighten. So, therefore, what will happen to mortgage rates? They'll go up. Well, of course. That's, that's right. What everybody of course. Thought. But we didn't. Yep. We went down. <laughs> so, you know – This is the same thing's going to happen this time because the historic items are still there. The Fed is tightening. That's true. That is going to cause the short end to go higher. That's true. It should. But what that will end up with is you'll have a flatter yield curve. So before I get, that's a tease. That's just a tease. Let's just go ahead and go on to what happened. What was the other caveat in this market? Well, we had one other thing is what I've been looking for and why I've been so bullish for so many years, 30 years, except for 2000 uh, or 1994, and then also I think it's 2001. We had another uh, year in there that was pretty bearish. But <clears throat> So what, why, what am I waiting for? Why do I keep saying this? Well, one is that we didn't get – that's why we didn't get the extremes. We got some of it. But not all of it, and that is what I've been calling the great repricing. And all that means is that assets that investors are interested in buying, buying that are riskier assets, we call that risk on. When investors right. are interested in buying riskier assets, it's risk on. Why um, we we did we need to get those assets to be cheaper. So we have right. to have a lower cost basis for those investors. Now, how do how do you get to a low? I'll ask the question: <laughs> How do we get to a lower cost basis, Dave? Yeah, I mean we can we can get to lower cost basis through a number of ways, right? How could right. we get your house if if you were um, trying to sell? How would we get your house to a lower cost basis?
3: Okay, sure.
0: Let the market so with inventory. Could, yeah. Exactly. So we could have inventory sales, right? You could have. How else could maybe your house, your house physically, if you we had to, we had to sell, sell it tomorrow. Anything.
2: Yeah. What we, we anything do, that's distresses the anything
0: it, of it, right?
2: Yeah. yeah, right. yeah anything, anything that gets, that gets, gets into it. a distressed market. Yep. Yep. Correct. Any any of exactly. the add distress exactly. features. Correct. Exactly. So talk about that. Are you saying we're
0: feature? bankruptcies, debt forgiveness, just yep. sales. Um, And also, in a global market, the other distress item is devaluations of currencies. Right. Because the devaluation of a currency means your country goes on sale. So think about Brexit. How many people out there in your listening audience have heard about Brexit? Now, Brexit was was the Brits are saying we're going to leave the EU. The, uh, the European Commonwealth, the uh, European Union, we're going to leave the EU, not the EMU, because they never went into the euro, so, right. but into the EU, the common market. <clears throat> so they had never been as part of the EMU, which is the Economic Monetary Union, and that's the, what means the euro. So they right. never used the euro. They had the British pound. Well, what happened to the British pound? The British pound lost in one single day 10% of its value. What does that mean? That means a U.S. dollar could buy 10 percent of anything, anything, doesn't matter what right. it is. So if a house was on sale for five hundred pound, five hundred uh, thousand pounds uh, in the outskirts of London, then and, and the dollar, we'll just say it was was, uh, we'll just say make up a number. I could have bought it in dollars for six hundred thousand dollars. Now. I just, now I can buy it for $550,000 because the pound has lost 10%. In just no some I, moment.
2: I, yeah. We saw that kind of shift.
0: Correct. In just one day. And then over, you know, longer, a few weeks, it was down 15 to 20%. It's, and, and if you went to extreme high on the pound and you went down to its low over the extreme high was a couple of years ago. And now where it is 25% discount. so, Devaluation of a currency means a con- essentially a country is going on sale to other investors. It's going on sale to people of other currencies. If they're the- if you compare the other currency to the British pound, so in the case of the dollar, it was a ten percent decline in that day. So that rep- that's a repricing of an asset. So when the when the Brazil went through its great repricing a couple of years ago, two thousand fourteen. It's, a, it, its country went on sale. And, yep. and when, when, the, when the Russians went into their recession, their country went on sale. When the BAT uh, recently had a significant change in its value, that's uh, for Thailand, the country went on sale. So when Australia, that's now currently having problems, and its currency is, is falling, then what, that, what does that mean? That means that country's on sale for other investors, foreign investors. The more that these countries worldwide are basically wanting to dev- devalue their currency, it's another way of putting their country on sale. And by the way, it's very deceitful to do that, because it undermines the purchasing power of every person that lives in that country. And the mine that un- exactly yeah. that's right. So if so, now let's look at it from the Brits' viewpoint. When when the Brexit happened, and their currency dropped ten percent. The, a U American could come in there instead of not being it. Now they they have a fifty thousand dollar benefit, right, for that half right. million in pounds and six hundred thousand in dollars. Just again, the, the, I didn't do the exact uh, ratio change, but giving you a sense of right. But what happened to the Brits that were there? Well, they can now what would the price be? The price would still be five hundred pounds. So yep. that seems oh, them. there's no effect. However. However, what does happen as a currency declines, it, it causes assets to have – they will reprice upwardly, follow me. So if the currency declines, what happens is inflation is a natural output of a currency exactly right. decline. The further a currency drops, the more inflation is going to start popping up in, a, in an area. So what does that mean? If that means if your wages aren't how, – how quickly do wages respond to inflation? There's a delay, isn't there? In fact, right. it could maybe be, be – Are you? how often do you get changes in your payroll? Once a year? Twice a year?
2: But unless you don't.
0: You know. yeah. Yep. So it's, it's it, not it, that it, often. It,
2: so is there going to be a race to the bottom? One of the questions that one of our listeners is writing and saying, ask Les, are we seeing a race to the bottom on the currency in the currency war – or would you characterize it as that? In other words, just start devaluing things to the point where we've seen what China's doing. doing. Uh, what's your thoughts on currency, foreign currencies, generally Devaluation. speaking? Devaluation,
0: absolutely. What, and that's yeah. what I'm actually talking about. I think that assets going still to be a race are to too the expensive. And, and you get uh-huh. a rate – it's been going on for a while. If you look at right. the emerging markets, you'll see how – some of them have actually had an okay year in 2015 because or 16 because of the dithering of the Fed, um, which mm-hmm. meant that the dollar was kind of languishing. But then the dollar finally started getting going as it realized what was happening globally. Let me put up the dollar chart here. I wish you could have it that's a little more interactive for your uh, – For your listeners, but uh, looking at the dollar chart in the middle of 2016, we kind of bottomed out. Then we started really rallying. The dollar is a basket of currencies dominated by the euro, the Swiss franc, and by the British pound. So when those three started really getting hurt, but particularly the British pound and the uh, euro, then we started seeing the dollar really taking off. Uh, Also, the yen is, by the way, in that basket. There's some others. But the big thing is those. I do believe that currencies are – generally, in 2017, it's going to be another round of race to the bottom. So you're going to see a lot lower currencies, but not the U.S. dollar because the, not US the dollar, dollar yeah. is, exactly. is the reserve currency. It is the reserve currency. There's numerous reserve currencies that can be used, even the one – the, well, about- the Chinese one is part of that, but that's not – Right, the reserve currency. 90, what, eighty to ninety percent of all global transactions are done in the dollar.
2: The amount, well, the, the amount petrodollar of too. I mean, dollars. Yeah, it, that's
0: right. Yeah. It's, it's dollars. It's U.S.
2: dollars. Yeah, all oil. For the listeners that do not know this, all oil is traded in U.S. dollars. That's why it is. It is the petrodollar. And uh, now there's some talk about that changing because we look at the amount of gold that uh, China has been buying up from many of the other countries. And so, I mean, let's we could go into all of that, but relate yep. this back to what this means for the average mortgage banker that is trying to figure out what to do with their business. Does the rising dollar, the falling currencies overseas, have a direct impact to us? Does it really? And if so, what? How should people start planning their businesses for well, 2017? Well, I'm glad
0: you asked that question. So
2: some of them need
0: to make sure they have a good bankruptcy
2: lawyer uh,
0: on their Rolodex, uh, you know, or mm. on, their, on their iPhone. Um, 2017. Let's took at it, before we get to our Trump question. Um, right i want to, yeah, to give yep. you yep. the official official final for class it's going to be sadly for mortgage
2: bankers a very bad year and it's not going to the be a bad of year its because volatility of significant. It, that's right volatility yeah okay okay so that's what i'm sorry i didn't mean to, you were no, going to okay. the answer and uh, as i was asking no, the question okay. so, so it's volatility that is going to be but last all these hedge firms are out there operating and doing supposedly the job Managing that risk and I've been deeply concerned, not because of the lack of sincerity or the ability for these guys to to manage this risk, but I just don't sense that lenders, people that I know very well, they're just trusting to a point of blind trust. And I am concerned that they're not doing the analysis of the hedge or even understand it, much less um, are being proactive at managing it.
0: Well, how many times has the interest rate range of the two-year been more than 200 basis points during a year over the last 30 years?
2: Wow. Four times. Four times? I yeah, believe no, I was how much. I was trying to so rack so up. I'm the looking history.
0: at two, 2008 was one. Um, right. 2000, and, um, t- uh, 2000 was uh, just, uh, just shy of two. Um, 1994 was over two. 1995 was over two, so those are the main. And there was one more big mover uh, in that 1987, um, and that. But see, that would be 30. That was so. I'm kind of going not counting that one. And going forward, there was only one. And we'll get even in the ones that are close. About two, three, about four times that we were that. 2011 was uh, right at that, and 2008. So 2011, 2008. Uh, 2000 was just shy of it, and then we had 1994 and 1995. Right. So there's not been a lot of instances for over 200 basis points move in the ten year. Um, I've been thinking okay that for the last so, few years. I thought we would we had some chance to get there in 2014, 15, and 16. Right. But we but I have to you have to also look at the expected range. So the expected range if if some of the bad things that I expect to happen don't happen. We're still going to be somewhat calm, but comparable to last year in terms of the range. However, I don't think it's going to be a calm year. And the reason I don't think it's going to be calm is the Federal Reserve is continuing to tighten. They are going to continue to tighten. Right. And it's, they they lost Do you think it'll be three times this year? Do you think it will see three um,
2: times, as they've said? I think, I think it's yeah. fair
0: to think that we're going to see more than one. Uh, I don't think they're going to do the same game that they did this last year. Um, Yellen is a dove at heart, um, but she, I think she's going to view the Trump policies as more pro-growth policies, and so she's going to have a tendency to go ahead and stay, try to stay somewhat ahead of the curve. Um, I don't think they're going to be far enough ahead of the curve. That's why I think the second half of the year is going to be a disastrous year. But the first half of the year... I do still think the first quarter is going to see significantly lower rates, and that's going to give a little bit of a boost, a mini refi boom, because I think a lot of lenders are going to say, hey, we have our one last shot. I think borrowers are going to think they have the one last shot. Uh, They're going to see these declining rates. It's going to get a lot of loan officers really motivated to get out there and get their refis that have been kind of sitting on the fence um, some of those that had gotten at some of the higher rates that we had, like in 2011 and, and you know the in 2010, maybe some of those now they could move into some more refis. Um, so we won't have the huge drag. The MBA is forecasting for refis to be 30% of the market in 2017. Um, right. I believe the first it's going to be front loaded though. I think where the most of the refis are going to occur in the first uh, quarter, maybe spill into the second quarter. But the third and fourth quarters, I think we could see refis be five to ten percent of total production. So if we see as little as that, wow! Because it will be significantly higher rates. So we have uh, if we have if if the EM countries do in fact see some devaluation early on this quarter. That's going to put a lot of countries more on sale. The dollar will continue to get some more of its appreciation. I still think we can get to 105 to 110 on the dollar index, and we're what it, call it 103 right now. So um, we're going to see this stronger dollar index. We're at 102 and a half right now on the 0.4 in the. And where do you see index. it going by year end? I think we can. I think we can be to 105 to 110. That's the range wow. I've been wanting to see the dollar get to, and we keep not getting there, and partly because the the Fed's been afraid to take a strong dollar policy. Uh, we need a strong dollar policy to cleanse the world of its debt. Uh, that's what, right. that's going to spark bankruptcies. It's going to spark just uh, sales. It's distress sales. We need that. That's what you need to get a vibrant market. If you look at what happened with housing market and it crashed in California, the immediate response before the federal government or the state government got involved with trying to reduce foreclosures. There was a significant request, that happened right away. That was healthy for the market. Then you got a lot of government intervention, and the government intervention really stretched this thing out. And we've been kind of, we, the good thing is we had low, lower volatility. We had just same kind of stable uh, times. We were able to get some of the weak people out of the market early on in the early uh, crisis. But now it's, if you really want to bring long-term health, restore the secondary market, restore the uh, PLS market, uh, restore international commerce so that we, people can get out of this below 3% uh, GDP in the uh, G7 and, or G10 right. and get us back up above 3% growth in developed countries, but particularly in the United States. Then we have to see a purging in, in the world of assets being repriced. Oh, so, are you talking? And, you and, talk- we'll ha- and I
2: think we'll have it in Q1 and Q2. So, do you, so you think it will happen in Q1, Q2? And are you talking about so- sovereign bankruptcies, basically? No.
0: Are I'm you not looking. I'm looking just at, like, uh, you know, uh, large uh, mining companies in Mongolia okay. or. You know, things happening in uh, uh, Australia. I mentioned Mongolia on purpose because Mongolia is one that has saw a great rise because of its uh, resources uh, being bought by China. But now I think that's going to be a challenge because I think challenges are going to be facing uh, China in 2017. Uh, Some of those things (laughs) that have been lingering are going to finally hit even more. In 2017, and sadly, it's because of one major event. There was one major event that happened in 2016 almost dwarfs uh, what happened with the election of Donald Trump. And that was that the Chinese government basically moved its uh, head of their central bank to the head of the pension fund. So that's kind of like putting them out to retire um, it's, and that's because he was a – he. they brought him on because they knew he was a market reformer, and he got the one thing they wanted, he, that now the uh, chi- Chinese yuan is part of the reserve currencies in the world, which all that means is central banks can hold uh, excess res- – hold their monies in the yuan will count as one of those reserve currencies. And so uh, – the environment that we're going to be in in 2017 early on is going to get some more some more repricing of assets. Um, that and, was a big and, event. And that China is not
2: going to follow market things, so China's right. going to
0: have more problems.
2: Mm-hmm. A lot more problems. There's going to be a lot of volatility there, and how that spills over to interest rate volatility, which I think is the greatest risk for our, our yeah. industry is yep. how does how do secondary managers, executives that own these companies, uh, how should they be viewing or looking at managing differently in 2017 than they did 2016 and First before? First thing
0: is mortgage bankers need to pay attention to volatility. They need to understand
2: that if rains, if
0: rates drop, If where we are right now at 4.4 on mortgages, if we drop back down to 3.8 in a fairly short time period, that means you're going to be covering your hedges with short MBSs. And with short MBSs, there's margin calls now, or can be. They look yep. at credit and all, um, but there's, there's right. more mm-hmm. risk of a liquidity crisis. You mentioned Bradley, uh, W.J. Bradley, early on. Yep. Well, it's because they hit a liquidity crisis. Uh, there That's were right. some inside things that they were doing which took their cash off the table, and when they did that, then you had this blip, and that cash crisis put them out of business. So cash is king. And so people need to realize you can't operate a mortgage company with low cash reserves. If you do, you will go out of business in 2017. You're going to go out of business either in the first half because of the downdraft in rates, and that means margins that you'll have to reach on your mortgage-backed securities, and, or else you're going to be put out of business when it, when it dramatically increases in rates. From hitting the lows, whatever those lows may be, whether it's 1.9 in the 10-year, 1.6 in the 10-year, or 1.3 or even 1.1, 1. 1. 1. those numbers are possible. But because of the Trump bump, we're, I'm only looking at 1.9 to 1.6. But if we're here at 2.4 and we drop down 1.9 fairly quickly or 1.6, that's a big move
2: now. So I think oh, the move that we've seen that's, – That's right. It will be significant. And and, and so the Trump bump, is it a speed bump that you're referring to that we're rolling over? Explain the Trump bump. Yeah, the Trump bump was basically when he
0: got elected, people were surprised, and then they started realizing this is going to be a pro-business. Um, uh, government, more pro-business than it was before, and it will be pro-GDP growth. It will be with those things, and we should also see some increase in uh, inflation. There are some concerns about what type of drag there will be on international commerce, and that's a subject for a longer discussion. But if these things, the Trump bump took us from the below 2% in the 10-year to above, above 25 in the 10-year, that Trump bump And also expectations now. We've got expectations of the stock market. People are really happy. We've had a bump in consumer confidence. Those are all great things. And I do think some of these things are going to come about. However, the Trump bump is now over for a little while because now it has to be – you have to get real policy passed through Congress, really get it implemented, really get it into the economy, and all of those things are going to take time. Confidence will be good, but there's going to be scary things that happen. Yeah.
2: yeah, I was going to say consumer confidence came in. There's just been a surge in that. So we see that. That's kind of a fickle emotional index, that I refer to it. It's feeling-based, and that can change quickly, as you know. So you're saying mm-hmm. the that we're going to see the volatility. We're going to see a drop in rates in uh, the first quarter. It'll, it'll all happen in the first quarter. And then do we start heading all north first quarter, starting the second quarter? second
0: quarter. It could fall into the oh.
2: second quarter. Yeah. It could. I'm so looking it could
0: at start, the we expected range. The low right. end of the 10 should be hit in the first quarter. It might be spill into the second quarter, but I'm looking at 1.9 if it's calm. Okay. And so that's still a big move, even if it's that calm. That is a big move. Yeah, that's, uh, that's even if it's calm, wow. Right. And then if we get some of the exciting things I think we'll get, and we might get down to 1.6. If we get a lot more of it, I have not put this in my forecast, but I could – there could easily be a significantly lower rates for a wider range downward if some of these things cascade. I'm not sure that that's going to happen. I'm kind of – I'm not really leaning that way. I really think the 1.9 to 1.6 will probably be it for this year. But that move is going to be pretty condensed. Just like the move up was condensed, the move down is going to be condensed. And people are not going to really be believing it. They're going to think, oh, no, we're in a higher rate environment. We must be because the Fed's tightening. Um, that's sarcasm. So if we get this <laughs> movement down and we have gotten some of these race to the bottom on currencies with the dollar still going higher, that's going to create some real problems on people that are hedging. But here's where the real problem lies. The big problem that will lie big is when it starts going the other way. So people got surprised by the Trump bump and that was a pretty significant increase in rates, but it didn't you know, going from fifty basis points in the mortgages in in the environment that we're in, they kind of handle it fairly well because you're not really dealing with margin calls. Here you're just dealing with Am i over hedged and you're we've had a lot of people wanting to get their pipelines closed because there's there's concerns. right. But what yep. happens if you're down at low levels and you have a lot of these refis and then it starts taking off high? I think you're going to have some people that are over hedged in certain environments and that it's going to happen because it's going to happen faster and farther. We're going to have some significant moves. So, so I'm getting for the high end, the high okay. end for, 3.2. If it's an expected range 4.1, if it's outside the range on the 10 year Okay. and that would should translate into the mortgage side to, uh, the high high end for mortgages will be around um, 4.8, with a low end about 3.9. But the outside and these outside numbers, I would not be surprised to see mortgages hit, and this would be a wide range for mortgages. 5. Yeah, this is 4. a right range you're talking about. And by wow. the way, I'm referencing the primary mortgage market uh, index right. that the uh, Federal or uh, Freddie Mac publishes. So the yep. outside I see is. 5.4 on the 30 year regular mortgages, and then uh, to 3.6 on the, on the low rate, uh, low for rates. I, I do wow. think it's probably only going to be 3.9, but it could down 3.6 if you got that extreme move even beyond what I talked about, that ex- real extreme move, because that would mean real financial problems globally right.
2: happening. Right. And that could happen, by the way. Uh, 3.6 is what I think. In an well, if extreme, there's a race, right. yeah and i think those extremes could be realized especially if there's a race to the bottom and there's the instability that's out there as a result of that i, th- I think that's that's very plausible so that's very interesting is, so 5 point4 yeah. mm-hmm. down to a low of 3.6 and the lows extremes. will be realized yeah those these are, are the extremes, extremes exactly these are extremes, 3.6 to 3.9, and we'll be realizing those in the first quarter, slightly going into the second quarter, but somewhere right. in the second quarter, it's it's rocketing up, and we're going to have all the rate increases. Rocketing tonight. up, so, that's right. Yep. Yeah. I don't want to use that. That's right. Much. And then, <laughs>
0: then I think I I just see, I got you sidetracked here a lot, Dave. Sorry for that. But for the audience, I know you were you were wanting to ask me questions about Trump and Russia.
2: I do. To I was going. Yeah. Yeah, we'll close it out with what are you there? And then also your China effect, the China effect. So go, but let's talk about Russia and Putin and how does he play into this, especially with some of the latest news that we're seeing? Well, there's a lot
0: of people that think, well, Putin wanted Trump elected and that
2: Putin loves Trump
0: and Trump loves Putin. What it really is, and this it, people need to keep perspective the reason putin want, wanted donald trump because he felt that donald trump would be good for oil prices right the other thing he thought that he would be better for overall global economy recovering so if you if you if your outlook is one president versus another president you have a choice which one's going to be more be- better for me as a foreign country which which environment's going to be better for me russia's in a recession and they've been in a recession i think it's three percent growth uh, last negative yep. growth last year uh, in 2016. uh most forecasts have them still remaining uh, uh below zero in gdp growth next year uh 2017. they have a declining population they've had been just ro- really rocked hard because of the uh, oil collapse russia wants to see stability in the oil markets now Some would say, well, Trump's going to have – make sure that we're producing more oil. So wouldn't that cause a problem with capacity? It could be. That would be a good counter argument. I do think that we're going to have more oil jobs. But the issue will become what type of consumption of oil you have. I think we're going to have higher consumption of oil because if the market over – if the GDP starts picking up globally in the second half of the year – and you have some of the other policies that we want in place here not, not fully engaged, then we're still not going to have our high pickup in productivity or in high production of oil in the United States. We'll still have some. It will be growing. But it may not be as much as you think as these policies get through. And then we're going to see for, uh, for Russia, they're in a really good position to pick up some of the excess Excess. If the market starts picking up generally, global, global growth in the second half of the year starts to pick up, then he's a winner. His country can move on into a positive GDP, might even yep. cause some population shifts back into Russia to
2: service the uh, oil economy. So
0: that's what he's hoping right. for. That's why he loves Trump.
2: Very, very interesting. I can't believe we've been chatting here for as long as we have. We could go on and on about this. You publish a daily newsletter, uh, an update. It's a, it's a great blog. I love it. I read it constantly. Um, I would love to – how can people connect with you on that? What's the best way for the them to – The simplest and easiest way,
0: uh, Dave, is to go to um, – Licking on Linden? No, we have we have posted it there before.
3: <laughs> yeah, um, I know.
0: But it would be go to our website, which is uh, Loan Logics, and that's L O A N, not L O N E. Right. Yeah. L <laughs> O A N Logics L O G I C S dot com loanlogics.com. You'll go to our homepage and scroll down to the bottom and you can sign up for the newsletter. It will say sign up for newsletters. You click on it then you'll have a choice of a few of our blogs and one of them will be Market Logics and they can Market sign logic, up there. Yep. And there's no no charge for that and we we've been very happy with how why our listener or our readers who just keeps expanding every year. are very pleased with the growth of our readership and we hope we've given people lots of things to think about we try to be non-traditional in thinking uh, in the sense that i do talk about europe i do talk about asia i do talk about uh, africa i talk about these other continents i talk about other central bank policy you you can get all of the u.s domestic stuff you want from a good ib or some of your good hedge advisors that are out there but the facts are it's I'm trying to give you something that's a little different to think about each day that how it might be impacting uh, rates.
2: You do a great job. You look at your previous forecast, going back as you did earlier in the program, all the way back to 2011, and you realize how accurate you are. This is a real interesting wide range this year. And so, um, very fast, it's really, tough. To I watch.
0: don't want to, I don't want to forecast this,
2: but this is going to be tough.
0: And you did mention about the hedge, hedge advisors, the hedge advisors, yes. really smart people do good things. The tendency is there yes. they they're using reactive models, which that's right. okay. You can usually stick between yeah. the ditches that way that, but, but if you go out to extremes, that's when the problem that's happened for, that's for reactive
2: risk management. That's right. Right. That's and we're going to have some fall of those extremes. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And we're going to have We're going to have margin calls. We're going to see some companies go out of business. It's uh, it's unfortunate. Yep. We don't want to. I don't. I'm not excited about that. As we're going to lose some. We're going to lose some people this year, and it's, uh, it's because. But of you're the, also going to have the companies that have adjusted or have
0: have really addressed quality within their whole systems. You know, right. to originate and manufacture loans with high quality and that also are paying attention to volatility and know how to manage the risk of volatility, there's there's tools out there, there's methods out there you can do to manage volatility better that are also making sure cash is king on their balance sheet. If if those type of companies will flourish in this environment Top loan officers are going to be well-rewarded if they're tagged with the right company, with the right type of processes, the right type of cash management, and the right type of hedge policy. If they have those three things, they're going to be very successful in 2017 because it's going to be a purchase money market. Yep. Strong purchase money
2: market. We could go on and on and on, and Mm -hmm. we will. We've got to have you back several times, probably quarterly throughout this year because of this. And uh, at least that often, and get more updates. But I want to say thank you so much. Happy New Year to you and your family, and everyone there at Lone Logics. You do a great job, and I encourage you to check out the website Lone L O A N Logics L O. Come on, last game. I just went blank on the So anyway. G-I-C-S, check them out, .com, LoanLogix, L-O-G-I-C-S, .com. Check it out. Get signed up for lessons newsletter. Appreciate you being with us on this holiday. And uh, whatever you are listeners doing for the rest of this day, I hope you will take some time to give this. Uh this exciting, somewhat sobering message as we head into the new year. Some real consideration, pass it around, share it around, and behold, to get be sure to get a hold of Les. I just got a couple messages already. How can I get a hold of Les Parker? What's the best way to, for them to connect with you with their specific questions, Les?
0: LoanLogic.com has my name there, my com- my email, and they can send me an email. It's or all they there, can right Also there. Respond, to the respond to the newsletter. Goes to marketing. They always get things to me, also. Either way, perfect.
2: Very good Nick and happy got New more year. Happy New Year! Yes, for sure. Next week, listeners, we got Marina Walsh of the NBA joining us. We'll be talking about some of the newest NBA research. We're going to be talking about some of their projections that they've got. Can't wait to talk about origination forecasts. We're going to be armed with some extra questions. I know Marina will listen to this podcast in advance of that. So very interested to hear uh, or have you all join in. Give us your feedback. If We'll be speaking at the events of coming up, the Independent Mortgage Bankers Conference. I'll buy also... Uh, the opening speaker at the Texas Mortgage Bankers Secondary Conference. Be sure to check that out here in Austin, Texas, at the end of uh, this month, January. So it's good to have you with us. Have a great week, everybody, and Merry – have a happy – well, we hope you had a Merry Christmas, but Happy New Year. Thank you. See you back here next week. Thank you, Les. Appreciate you being here.
1: This has been Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update with your host,
0: David Lickin, of Transformational Mortgage Solutions. Join us again next week, and thank you for listening.